0: Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. I want to take a good look at who I'm talking to this morning. And when Bill asked me to, to step into this journey of talking about the Bible, I thought, oh, man, what a joyful invitation. I get to talk about the Bible. Typically, when you come into a space like this, you hear a sermon from the Bible, and you hear somebody up front expounding on what they think that text might be saying and what it might be saying to us. And so... This morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about it. Kind of like, what is the Bible? When you hear the term Bible, what comes up for you? How do you read it? And over the last month, since I've had time to prepare for this, I went and talked with a variety of people and would ask them the question, so what is the Bible to you? And of course the response is, what the heck are you talking about? What do you mean, what is the Bible to me? I'm like, well, how do you read it? And it was interesting to hear all sorts of different responses and people's ideas around the text and what they think the Bible is and people's honesty of, like, I don't really read the Bible. And there's a lot of that. And I sent out a, a few emails to friends because I was curious, like, what do, you, what do you think about the Bible? How do you read it? And I wanted to read an email that I received from a friend so I thought it was really helpful. And this friend is somebody who... He travels a lot, interacts with a lot of people, gets to sit down and talk with people. He's a pastor and gets to hear people's responses about how they view the Bible. And he says this, he says, I'm endlessly disturbed. Isn't that a great way to start an email? With how many people have a love-hate but mostly confused relationship with the Bible? What I've noticed over time when I ask questions is that this love-hate relationship is rooted in a belief that the Bible is God's way of showing you what you're doing wrong. And that right there gets to the root of how a lot of people see it. This big, beautiful story of God's love letters written to us, is it primarily about God revealing to us, here's all the things that you're doing wrong. And as I've sat with people and interacted with them and have listened to their heart and listened to their viewpoints of the scripture, I've drawn the same conclusions that so many people read it through these lenses or these viewpoints that the Bible is God's way of showing me what I'm not or where I'm missing it or it comes in the form of of judgment or there's lots of shame around it. And there's embarrassment or people are like all in with the Bible. We've met these folks, right? They're like, yeah, the Bible is absolute truth. It's an errand. It's perfect. And there's all this terminology that's used around the Bible. And then you've got people who are going, I'm super curious about it. And I approach it with wonder and curiosity because I'm not always sure what it's trying to say and what it's pointing to. So I come at it with that. And then there's all kinds of people who are indifferent about the Bible. There's just kind of a blasé approach. And my hope this morning is to maybe just invite us to take one more step towards the text, towards the big story of God, open up ourselves with some curiosity and wonder. And ultimately, what I want to do is share my heart with you this morning just to offer you a few little gifts that I hope move you from indifference to curiosity. One more step, to have a good, honest discussion around what is the Bible. Because I have wrestled with the text. I have wrestled with the scripture. And in particular, over the last 30 years of my life, I've looked at it, read it, interacted with it, studied it, talked about it. And I, too, have confusion and lack clarity about certain pieces of the Bible, and I'm not quite sure what to do with certain people in the scriptures. And yet, at the same time, I have experienced deep, profound joy reading the Bible, that I, I experience a presence, some kind of like, it's like that, that bass note that hits you right in the stomach when you go to see the Foo Fighters. And it just hits you right here. And it just rumbles through your body. You're like, something's really moving inside of my system right now. And that the Bible does this thing. And that sometimes when I approach the text and I read it, I experience this weird thing where I feel like it's reading me and interacting with me. And no other text does that for me. So yeah, I'm compelled by the scriptures. I believe what the Bible says about itself, that it is God's inspired words given by the Holy Spirit. Even in the text itself, it describes the scriptures as God breathed. And we don't fully understand what that means, but we know that there's something happening in that phrase of of the Bible describing itself as God breathed and that all scripture, all of it from beginning To end is this beautiful story that is pointing us to some big, beautiful mystery. And what I want to do this morning is I want to start with giving you a resource. And I want you to watch this video, and then we're going to pull out our cell phones. Yes, you heard it from up here. We're going to pull out our cell phones, and we're going to download something together. So go ahead and watch this video for a moment. I wanna share an app to you called The Bible Project. The Bible Project is an engaging way to enter into God's bigger story. And it has been super helpful for me in gaining a a broader perspective. I would say one of the things I love about The Bible Project is that they're not choosing sides or telling you how to think or feel, they're giving you the big story of God and breaking it down tangible ways, helpful ways. So as you open the app, I want to navigate through it with you for a moment. And you'll notice when you open up the app, the first thing you see is how to read the Bible. And the first question that's asked is what is the Bible? What's the story of the Bible? What kind of literary styles are in the Bible? The plot, the character, design patterns, really engaging things. And then if you go back, you'll notice on the bottom It gives you exploring book by book, section by section, in the Bible. So if you go to the Old Testament and you're like, I'm really compelled to read the book of Leviticus because who isn't compelled to read the book of Leviticus? But it breaks it down into helpful ways that you start to enter into a bigger story and go, actually, it's more beautiful than I had anticipating. Another cool feature is the podcast feature. So you're getting in your car in the morning or getting in your car after work, you have a a commute you can go through and listen to podcasts where Tim and John talk through things like the Exodus story and they give us the bigger picture once again of God's beautiful story in the scripture creation series, the family of God, all different kinds of compelling ways for us to enter into the biblical narrative. So I invite you to step into this journey and I invite you to grow and learn and enter into the curiosity of the wonderful, beautiful scriptural biblical narrative. All right, pull out your phones for a moment. On the screen, you'll see a number that you can text. Bible Project 2720821. If you have not downloaded this app, I encourage you to do so today and invite you to step into the journey with uh, Tim Mackey and John. They are both biblical scholars that I believe do a really good job of helping us stay in the big story of God. It's been a tremendous resource for me. And once you text that number, it'll come back and give you a link. Go ahead and hit that link and download it. And if you have questions, if you're wondering, how do I navigate myself through this app? See me afterwards at our Connection Center. That's going to be my dwelling space where I get to talk with all kinds of y'all and help you discover what it means to walk in the ways of Jesus. Together. So please take some time to do that. I will assume that if you're looking at your phone during my sermon, you're just compelled by the Bible project, which is totally fine with me. Go ahead and look at the phone. That's okay. So, Bill asked me to step into this journey with you. And the question that that Bill brought to my attention and the question that I've been sitting with it during this time of wondering how am I going to approach this is like, what in the heck do we do with the Bible when it says things? that make us really uncomfortable, or when it says things or gives us viewpoints that are really hard to understand that might actually take us further away from God than closer to God? What do we do with those parts of the Bible? And I'm certainly not going to seal it up this morning and put a bow on it, but I do want to talk about some things. When I began this idea of talking about the Bible, I'd been talking with somebody in this, this congregation about genocide in the Bible, and I thought, you know what I'll do is I'll address genocide in the Bible. That'd be a great way to enter into this story. And then I was like, hold on a second, back up there, John. This is not the time to do that, but it's something that we're in discussion about with people. Like, what do we do with these parts of the Bible that are really hard to understand? But there's a text that popped up immediately in my mind, and I want to read it to you. It's out of Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's risen defeated death. And he tells his disciples, I want you to meet me at the mountaintop. And look at what it says in the text. The disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. (laughs) Can Can we let out a sigh of relief for a moment? Some worshiped him and some doubted. I mean, here's the resurrected Jesus. He just rose from the dead. Amazing. And here's his followers, devout followers. Some worshiped and some doubted. This is terrible propaganda, friends. Is this how you start a movement? If you're like trying to convince people, you got to get, get in on this. Is this how you start the mission of Jesus? Some believed and some doubted. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus' response is no shame, no condemnation, no judgment. All he does is he invites them into the big mission that God has placed in, in Jesus. And he invites them into this big story of what we're doing here on earth. There's no, hey, you need to get this right before you enter into this journey with me. And he says right in the midst, of all this doubt and all of this worship, listen to his response. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make students of all nations, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and remember, I am always with you. Jesus isn't even fazed by their response. Immediately he invites them And this is the posture of Jesus in the face of worship, in the face of doubt, in the face of questions. He invites them into his mission and he reminds them, hey, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, get out there and make more students, teach them to obey everything that I have given to you. And remember, I will always be with you. Just encouragement, invitation into this big, beautiful journey, Jesus invites them into the story. So this raises a question for us. How do you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible when you read it a certain way growing up, and then 10, 15 years later, 20 years later, you're given a different viewpoint, and now you're reading it differently than you did when you were in your 20s? What do you do with it then? If I were to say to 33-year-old John, some of the things that 53-year-old John views about the scripture I would have told 53-year-old John, there's no way I'll ever see it that way. But I've seen in my own life the evolution and the growth that happens as I walk with Jesus and learn in community and learn from other people. And what I've learned over the years and what I would encourage all of us to do that when we approach the scriptures, we hold it with deep humility, with the understanding that there's always a possibility of some sort of misreading that could lead us in a completely different direction direction. And my encouragement to you this morning is stay curious, stay open, be a person who is pulled forward in life by wonder. Now I want to give you a few handholds this morning as you climb up this mountain of how to read the Bible. And I hope that these handholds are important. They've been really helpful for me. The first handhold is this. First of all, I'm asking all of us to admit and to recognize that there is no such thing as a plain reading of the Bible, okay? Are you with me? There's no such thing as a plain reading of the Bible. All of us interpret the Bible. You don't just read it, you interpret it. And we all have lenses. So when I take these glasses off, things get a little blurry. I can still see you, I know that you exist. But when I look at the text or I start reading words on a page, Things get really blurry until I put on my lenses and then things become clear. Another thing I'd like us to admit, because anytime we're in a good meeting, like an AA meeting together, let's first of all admit that all of us are addicted. And what are we addicted to? We are addicted to our way of thinking. Hi, my name is John Woolner and I am addicted to my way of thinking. Are you with me? We're all addicted how we see things is how we see things. And when those things are challenged, it can bring up issues inside of us. We have to admit that we are modern people. We are situated at a certain point in history. We've been trained and organized around how to see certain realities. But this book that we're interacting with is an ancient book. And it was written by actual people who were situated at certain points in history with certain perspectives, experiences that shaped and formed how they saw the world. So be quick to admit, I've got to put down my modern lens when I'm interacting with a very ancient text. Don't enforce your modern viewpoints into the biblical narrative. And sometimes when we're reading with our modern lenses, we're very quick to insert our modern viewpoints into the story. This is why I've invited you to look at the Bible Project. It keeps it in the story. They do a good job of keeping you in the bigger story, give you context of what was going on at that point in history. So let's admit, friends, we do not just read the Bible. When people say, I just read it, and then I do what it says, that's not honest. We do not do that. We interpret the text. All of us have lenses that we read through. Some of those lenses have been given to us by teachers, leaders, parents, pastors, friends, things that we've read, we pick up these lenses. And because of that, to acknowledge that, let's hold it with humility, with this understanding that there's always something new to learn, always something new to discover, and that the Bible is full of endless possibilities. Keep wonder at the forefront, allow it to pull you forward second-hand hold. I'm asking you to consider and admit that parts of the Bible are genuinely difficult to understand. Can we admit that, friends? There are parts of it that are really hard to understand. Take the book of Revelation, for example. Any experts on the book of Revelation in the room? None. Okay. The book of Revelation. Do not call it the book of Revelations, by the way. It's Revelation one big revelation of Jesus Christ. But in that book alone, there are over 500 references to the Old Testament. So you've got to have some understanding of the Old Testament if you're going to interact with this book. Realize too that this book is written in what is called apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature is really strange. So as you read and interact with the story, understand what you're reading. And if not, you're going to arrive at some really funky conclusions and interpretations about this ancient text. This is a letter. I had somebody tell me one time, make sure that you're in a healthy state of mind when you're reading the book of Revelation. And I'm like, yeah, that's really good advice. That you're in a good space. I remember years ago having a conversation with a woman in my church in Los Angeles, and she said, the Bible isn't complicated. It's just that we've made it complicated. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's so complicated. (laughs) There are some parts in it that are so hard to read and I don't know what to do with them. And that I need to admit myself that working through an ancient text with a modern viewpoint can make things very complicated. It's like, what do we do with those hard parts of the Bible? Another handhold, and maybe this will get your attention. Please do not read the Bible for the purpose of gathering ammunition. That sense of, I need to be right. I need to be in control. I need to put that person in the right space. Wait until I give them this. Please do not read it with that posture. Coming again with humility. What is our motivation? The next handhold, remember that the goal of Christian discipleship is to love like Jesus. That's the goal, friends. We want to learn how to love like Jesus. Jesus. October 7th through the 9th, mark this down in your calendar, men. We're going to head up to Estes Park for a weekend for a men's gathering, a retreat. And we're going to learn and practice and play and enjoy God's good creation. But we're going to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a student, and to love like Jesus. And we're going to interact together and grow together. The last handhold I want to give you, when you're approaching the scripture is this, make sure that you center your reading of the Bible in the gospels. Let me be crystal clear, all scripture points to Jesus. All scripture is fulfilled in and by Jesus. Jesus himself said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's all been fulfilled in and by Jesus. Therefore, what we say when we approach the scriptures and we read it through the lens of Jesus is that Jesus is both Lord and lens. That takes humility, openness, honesty. He is Lord and lens. Jesus is how we read and interact with the Bible. Now, I wanna give us a tool this morning. And this tool, I think may help some of us understand how we experience God, how we experience our theology, how we grow and understand who God is. And years ago, one of my mentors said, how you view God is how you view just about everything. It's all like rooted together. So this grid that we're gonna look at this morning, throw up that grid, Jesus is Lord and lens and Jesus is in the center of it because Jesus has been given all authority we're going to talk about scripture, our traditions, because some of our traditions have shaped and formed how we see the world, or you could put in that section, community, what we do together. And then the third one is, is reason, thinking, how we, we like don't check our brains at the door when we walk into these spaces, we're thinking through the implications of what it means to form and shape how we see Jesus in reality, and then our experience that our experience matters, how we experience God, how we experience community, how we experience what our brain is thinking. I know that God has touched some of you in significant ways, and that means your experience matters. There's some things that go on inside of you that keep you rooted in who God is. So this is a helpful grid for us to look at, and I think it's, it's a great way to just dance with the Bible, right, looking at all these different things. What I am not saying is that they're all 25% equal, that the Bible, will just consider a quarter of it relevant. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that all of these things shape who we are and how we experience God. Scripture matters, but so does tradition and our community and our reason and our thinking and our ability to experience the joy and the sorrow of what it means to follow God in this world. So let's talk about Scripture for a moment and ask the question, so how did Jesus read the Bible? When we think about Jesus, keeping Jesus at the center, how did he read the Bible? Well, in Jesus' day, no one had a Bible. This was like 1,500 years before the printing press. Communities had scrolls, and each community would have maybe one or two scrolls, and those scrolls were kept in a cabinet inside the local synagogue called an ark. So the, the scroll would be kept in an ark. There's a teaching there somewhere, I know it. And on that scroll was the Torah. And Torah are the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's Torah. And then the other scrolls might have wisdom writings on it or it might have some of the prophets' writings, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the book of Job or Ecclesiastes, maybe some Proverbs would be written there. And on Sabbath, one day a week, You would head down to your local synagogue, and the attendant, the worship leader, so Whitney in our case, would go to the ark, grab out the Torah. All right, Whitney, are you feeling this right now? You get the Torah out, it's time to read the text together, and then you would parade it through the congregation. And people would dance in delight of the Torah. Now, if that happened here, next week nobody would show up, probably. But you would dance through, there was an excitement about interacting with the text. All of this excitement, like we're about to hear the Torah and it's about to be read out loud and everybody was invited to participate. A side note, in these communities, they would take children in their beginning stages of life and they would teach Torah to them. And it says in in Jewish tradition that they're, they're gonna stuff Torah into their bones and they would give the children a tablet to write and interact with the text. And they would sprinkle honey on the tablet and they would have the kids first and foremost before they interact with the Bible, taste it first. How does it taste? Sweet, delicious. Imagine if that was your viewpoint on the Bible. It's sweet, tastes like honey. Almost like that text that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Imagine that formulating and shaping how you interact with the text. So they would read the text. And then they would roll up the scroll, give it back to the attendant, and the attendant would put it back in the ark, and you would think, okay, it's over. No. Then discussion and commentary would happen, and there would be all this debating going on because they wanted to know, how do we live in response to what we just read? They referred to Torah as the life, the truth, the way. That's a nod to Jesus, by the way. Jesus referred to himself as the life, the truth, and the way. And Torah is like Jesus in the flesh living out the implications of what it means to interact with God's words. So there would be debate, commentary, discussion. My mom used to work for a rabbi. And she said that uh, there would be days where all the rabbis would gather in the main office and they would shut the door. Now, my mom is super peaceful, graceful. I don't think I've ever heard her raise her voice, ever. She's just great, calm, loving presence. And they would go in and they would shut the door, they would read the text, and then they would start arguing. No, it's this, no, it's this. And it wasn't like one flat interpretation. They were interacting with the text. And my mom said, I could feel the tension in my neck rising up. I was like, what are they doing? Stop yelling at each other. They must be so angry. And then afterwards they would come out and there was like all this joy, like, oh, that was great. We just, oh my gosh, that discussion today was so life-giving. We interacted with the text, and there was so much joy swirling around the room. And this raises an interesting perspective. It's assumed that when you read the text, it's assumed that you would have questions. That's the assumption. That when you enter in and you read the scriptures, it's like, it's just the assumption you're gonna, you're gonna have all these questions rolling around. So when it was read in the synagogue, they read and they interacted and they wrestled and they struggled and they asked all kinds of questions because that's what you do. You ask questions, you don't tie a bow on it and say, this is how it always is. They interacted with the text. I was thinking about a story in the scripture out of Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, there's an expert of the law and an expert of Torah comes to Jesus. So it's one expert to a rabbi. And he asks the question, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So right there, you stop and you say, "Don't, don't put your modern lens on eternal life. Step back for a moment. What's the question that's being asked? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with a question because that's what rabbis do, back and forth with questions. And he says, well, what's written in the law, in the Torah? How do you read it? Jesus said, you see what's going on there? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? What's your understanding of what it says to inherit this God-centered life? And the expert, he just rips off this brilliant answer. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. You have answered correctly. But the expert in the law couldn't let it go, and he wanted to justify himself, so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? You see, there was a debate going on in Jesus' day, and the debate was centered in this discussion, who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor? Lots of debate, lots of questions, lots of justification about, well, that's not my neighbor, and that's not my neighbor, so I don't have to care about those people over there. We've determined that these people are our neighbors. These are the people that will receive our compassion and graciousness. So Jesus tells a story, as he often does, and he starts to talk about a Samaritan. Some of you are familiar with the story of the good Samaritan. And Jesus takes right in the center of the debate and drops the story and starts talking about the good Samaritan and two religious priests. And what Jesus does is he gets to the heart of the issue. And you see what we've done is we've made the story about taking care of people in need. And that is an exercise in missing the point of the story. And so often what we do is we miss the point, the intent of the story. And Jesus sets up the Samaritan as the, not the villain, but the one who is a reflection of God's compassion and generosity in the world. According to Jewish law, Samaritans weren't even considered human. So sometimes what we do is we use the text to justify hatred of entire people groups. And this is called a misreading of the Bible. And we justify, yeah, we can keep those people over there and we create this narrative is us versus them. And what Jesus does is he brings it right to the center and he drops the Samaritan in and says, actually the Samaritan is the one who shows us compassion, generosity. This is what God is like. Do you see why people were getting so upset with the teachings of Jesus? Because Jesus, what Jesus does is he gets to the root of things and he deals with the racism of the day the hatred of the day, justifying of our actions. If we make it about serving people, then we don't have to really talk about what's going on in the story. And we do this. We do it today, they did it in Jesus' day, and Jesus went right after it. If you read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, you'll see Jesus in his, his kingdom manifesto it's called. This is like what Jesus is all about. And he says in Matthew chapter five, you have heard that it was said, But I say to you, what is Jesus doing there? He's pressing it. He's giving them the full intent of the law. For example, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. I tell you, do not get angry with your brother. Ah, now it's getting real. See, he's moving in a little bit closer. Because in that anger are those seedbeds of all sorts of things that can go into the, the soil of the soul and can manifest in all sorts of hatred and anger and judgmentalism. And then he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But he takes it even deeper and he says, do not lust because the lust of the heart eventually turns into some sort of action that pulls you away from God's intent of what Torah was pointing us to. It's like Jesus is revealing the fact, you're just reading the surface, get underneath it. And Jesus was constantly bumping up against the dominant views and the interpretations of the day. And the religious leaders had it controlled. They were controlling the interpretations and Jesus was pushing against that and all sorts of questions and debate. And so when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, that means we read everything through the lens of Jesus. Even the question in the Gospel of Matthew would come up. Where does he get his authority? Where does this Carpenter son of Joseph getting his authority. Who gives him the authority to interpret the Bible? And Jesus is all authority has been given to me. It's all been fulfilled in and by me. So when we approach the scriptures, we approach it with Jesus. We read the Bible with Jesus. We are also careful to read the Bible in close connection with prayer. That's that community piece in the other corner, that tradition. Prayer shapes and forms how we approach the text. So when we approach it, we do so with prayer. Prayer is a a central piece of what we do. We can't always tie a bow on the hard parts of the scripture. So we come with prayer and humility and we read the Bible together in communal experience because we wanna make sure that we're doing this together because we don't wanna get caught up in the justification of hating people because we can do that with scripture. And we've seen people do that with scripture where they've committed egregious acts in the name of the Bible. So we read it in the context of community prayer. And let, us, let me remind us of what it says in the gospel of John chapter 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And so we say, Holy Spirit, lead us, direct us, give us the lens through your eyes and not our own. Help us with humility and compassion because we want to live in your way. A question that I would ask us though, is what happens when our traditions, when our reason and our thinking and our experience become what are called idols? And you see this in the church today, our traditions become more important than Jesus himself. And we hold on to these traditions and we hold on to what we've learned along the way. But I'm reminded of what the gospel of John says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word is God. And in John chapter one, that is Jesus. So, all authority rests in Jesus. That's John 1 at the heart of it. This is why Jesus is Lord and Lens. Jesus holds all authority. Everything must bow to Jesus. Even the Bible must bow to Jesus because He holds the final authority. Now, what we're seeing in the church today is we're seeing lots of people walking away from the church walking away from the scriptures, walking away from the story of Jesus. And their experience in church community is one where it's no longer a place of wonder and openness that I don't feel safe enough to bring my questions. And I'm not sure what to do with it. And then we see the other extreme and I'm watching this happen where people are clustering into same-mindedness and they're getting into these groups and they're buckling down on their beliefs and they're holding on to these things. And there's like this tribalism going on. Do you see this in the church today? It's happening all throughout the country. And we're just seeing these divisions happening. And it doesn't seem like there's much more room for openness and curiosity and wonder and question. And I know that this community is a space where we want to lean into the hard questions and have discussions. And that's my hope for circles. When you hear circles, you're like, what in the heck is a circle? It's a space intentionally created for us to have conversations because we learn in rows, but we grow in circles. We get around the table and we discuss what does it mean to walk in the ways of Jesus together? And if you wanna know more about how you enter into those spaces with us here at Ascent, I wanna help point you in that direction. We are making spaces here at Ascent to create some worshiped, some doubted, some wondered, some got to clamp down. But we want to be intentional about the spaces that we create together. I want to share a personal experience with you and then I'll land this thing. So Q Jones, get up here for a minute, buddy. Friends, this is Quincy Jones. If you haven't met Quincy Jones, do yourself a favor and meet Quincy Jones. In my 40s, I had what I would call a existential crisis, midlife crisis. I guess this is a real thing in our 40s. And I started asking really hard questions. And in those questions, I was a a senior pastor at the time. And I remember waking up on Easter Sunday morning and I woke up this way. (laughs) I'm not sure if Jesus, that whole thing is real. Now, Easter Sunday, is like the day that you're supposed to hit it out of the park. You know, you're supposed to be on. And I'm living with that question. And I'm like, who do I share this with? This is really intense and all these things going on, these questions and things bubbling up inside of me. And as I leaned into those questions and I was like going down to the bottom of the pool and digging, digging deeper and deeper, it was like, I just experienced a lot of silence and wonders, like, am I making this thing up? And so often what... What we do in our posture, Quincy is playing the role of God, by the way. What's up? (laughs) And my experience with God was that many times we have this approach that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It just feels kind of transactional, doesn't it? If I do this, then God does this. And what I experienced was I was keeping God at an arm's distance. And sometimes I would turn around. And what a lot of us think and believe is that if I turn from God, he will turn from me. But this is what began to happen in my journey of questioning and wrestling. I turned away, and God made the first move. And he swung around, and instead of turning away from me, he met me. And I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm not even sure you're real. What are you doing here? All those questions of like, all these years I've walked with you and now I'm wondering if you're even real, even on Easter Sunday, this is the day I'm supposed to nail it. And God just met me in that space and then I would turn away from God. And instead of rejecting me and punishing me, pushing me away, God met me in that space, there you are again. And now, when I think of resurrection, and when I think of beauty, and when I think of God, my heart explodes, because you're more real than real. I knew you, but now I know you, because you're a God who always makes the first move. You're the God who comes for me, even when I said, I'm not sure about you. You met me in those spaces. So now, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in it. And I believe that it still happens today. And I believe that you are the truth, the way, and the life. And I've committed myself to you, even in the face of all my doubts and questions, and that I realized that my doubts and questions actually led me deeper to you. And so here we are in loving embrace, and we walk together. I want you to know, friends, there is space for you in all your questions and your doubts and your struggles. The big hard stuff, there is space for you And we wanna walk with you. We wanna walk alongside of you and not seal everything up with a tight bow, but we just wanna walk with you and learn how to walk in the ways of Jesus together. In this big, beautiful embrace of what it means to walk with God. Pray with me. Jesus, we center ourselves this morning with a posture of openness and we say, have your way. Take it all, all the questions and the wondering and the indifference, meet us in these spaces and help us know how to deeply connect with who you really are and not what we've made you to be. Help us to walk deeper in your ways, Jesus, to know how to love people the way you did and how to go after things the way that you did and how to give, give of ourselves generously the ways that you did and the ways that you showed us through your son, Jesus. Help us to walk upright with an openness and touch our hearts. And for those of us this morning who are living in the question and you're wondering, what does it mean to say yes to Jesus? I invite you this morning to simply open yourself up and say, I don't know, but I'm open and I'm ready to move in the direction to say that Jesus, you are Lord God of my life. Give myself to you openly. We yield ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.